followed next Monday by Tom Cancel, followed the Monday thereafter by Mervyn Janetta, followed uh, finally the Monday thereafter by David Warrington. For those of you who keep track of such things, the count, the numbers listed in the newsletter were incorrect. I forgot to count my own mountain lecture. So in fact, this is not lecture 326. Granger, I think, created much grist for the mill of the, of 
publication of one of the major historical works of the period, Ireland's Records of the New York Stage, published by T.H. Morrell, a known Rangerizer. John Malcolm Bullock, in his The Art of Extra Illustration, argues that the craft acts as a protection against the imminent destruction of ephemera created by the theater. In fact, this has proved true for the earliest known playbills for two consecutive days at Lincoln Field are in extra illustrated volumes, one at the Harbor Theater Collection and the other at the Folger Shakespeare Library. Both these collections have extensive holdings of extra illustrated theatrical biographies and histories. The New York Public Library has its share as well, and so does the Huntington Library, nor is Princeton without a few holdings, all of these on theatrical subjects. The sales catalogs of all the major theatrical libraries enumerate lot after lot of extra illustrated works. It is obvious why the stage would be most suited to extra illustration, just as the stage inspires so much scrapbook compilation. The theater produces a wealth of so-called ephemeral material, and particularly visual material, which serves to document the art form and therefore to augment the I first came across Mr. Todeberg in the art vault of the Folger Shakespeare Library while working on a Title IIc grant to catalog the original artworks of paper owned by the library. Part of this work involved examining the extra illustrated collection where these volumes frequently had numerous original works of art, including drawings for book illustrations, costume designs, and theatrical part portraits. Among these volumes are many from the library of Augustine Dalen, several of which were extra illustrated by Mr. Augustine Todeberg. The art form of extra illustration intrigued me immediately, especially when I discovered the treasures of original book illustrations, the ink wash drawings of Francis Payne, watercolors by Edward Edwards, Thomas Stoddard, and Robert Smirk. But these works are, however, a far cry from the work of Todeberg. With Todeberg, however, came another fascination, quite a different beat. Here was a man who obviously pursued the work of extra illustration in dogged fashion and for an apparently monomaniacal patron, theatrics producer Augustine Daly. Todeberg took the art to the extreme. If an image could not be found to illustrate the text, he would create one. Occasionally, he even went so far as to hire watercolorists to create images for him. This was the case with Oscar and Victor Mobilard, the latter of which created a series of portraits of actors in the role of Shylock for The Merchant of Venice. Here is a portrait by Oscar Mobilard of George Frederick Cook's Falstaff. This is the general tenor of Todeberg's taste in art. More often than not, Todeberg himself would draw a portrait or copy a portrait from a print or a photograph, sometimes from a daguerreotype. On a few occasions, he would create a print portrait, generally using some form of lithographic process or transfer process or process print. He was nothing if not a versatile craftsman, but he was not a significantly accomplished artist. His portraits were flat with the distinctive tone of a copy. This is Todeberg's portrait of John Howard Payne. What is interesting is that in some cases, his copies of prints are the only known portraits of minor actors which he included in his work. The Folger Library has numerous examples of his portrait work, both in extra illustrated volumes and loose, as does the Harvard Theater Collection. This is a portrait of Mr. Keene, Edmund Keene as Iago, a engraving that's in the Folger Shakespeare, Shakespeare Library, and this is Todeberg's version of his increased large size watercolor copy of the same. You can see his talent. As an aside, Todesberg was just one of the several examples of bad art that Mr. Folger fell prey to in between his fusilies and sullies. My work at the Folger inspired a generally fas general fascination with bad art and art hoaxes of the period, the most entertaining being the perpetration of by John Anderson, the auction 
house owner who sold both libraries of Todeberg and Daly, among other significant libraries of the day. Anderson pr promoted the concept that J.M.W. Turner, the great landscape artist, was a master of the miniature signature, and that he had created hundreds of drawings in all varied styles, shapes, sizes, colors, subjects, which bore his signature, only visible through a particularly high magnification. Anderson went so far as to privately publish a folio-sized monograph on the subject. Mr. Folger, generally more savvy in his collecting, purchased a number of these so-called Turners, which illustrated Shakespearean subjects. But back to Todeberg. The work of Augustus Todeberg does not attempt to perpetrate a hoax, but frequently he has described his watercolors as from a rare print, which was not necessarily the case, or he has created watercolor portraits that appear to be painted over photographic prints. The conclusion from a study of the contents of the sale catalog of his collection, which was held in 1903, is that Todeberg collected and kept a store of prints from which he rangerized, but also from which he copied illustrations for his customers, the main of which was, as stated, Augustine Daly. At the, at the time that Todeberg met Daly, 1867, according to newspaper accounts, Daly was still a dramatic critic and a fledgling playwright just beginning to get his feet wet as a theatrical manager. The beginning of Todeberg's career as extra illustrator coincided with the rise of Daly to a preeminent position as the most successful New York theatrical manager and producer of his day. Daly's main claim to theatrical posterity is that he helped to establish the director as a major force in the theater. He retained absolute control over every element of his productions and was known as one of the city's early, pardon me, was known as one of the early star makers, catapulting a number of actresses, including Fanny D Davenport, to fame. After 1879, he had an established company which included the stars Ada Rayan and John Drew II. Rayan played more than 200 roles for Daly, and she was one of the most popular actresses of the day. Daly was first and foremost a producer of comedies and a prodigious producer at that, running two theaters in New York and one in London. He is said to have worked 16-hour days, and he still had time to collect books. As Marvin Spellheim, his principal biographer, is prompt to tell us, he made money by producing German farts, French problem plays, and English or, or American melodrama, but it was by presenting Shakespeare and the old comedy revivals that his theater achieved its fame and reputation. His impressive book collection, which was sold at auction in 1900, a year after his death, shows his interest in theater history, and his most particular obsession was the 17th century actress Peg Walkington. He even wrote a monographic tribute on, on Walkington, which some have interpreted as a metaphorical tale of Ada Rayan. His offices included a Walkington room, and his will allowed Miss Rayan the pick of the furniture and the paintings in that room, including a Hogarth. His character was surely obsessive, and it seems easy to construe how Todberg, with his dogged pursuit of images to suit the text, would get along well with this passionate producer. It was for Daly that Todeberg executed some of his most impressive works of rangerizing, including the volumes which document the productions of Daly's Shakespeare and Old Comedy revivals. But before we venture too far into Mr. Todeberg's relationship with Daly and his creations, let us first examine the biographical information that is known about Todeberg. While not a household word, students and scholars of book history, Todberg was decidedly well-known in his day. At the time of his death in 1909, no fewer than eight obituaries appeared, some of them quite lengthy in all of the popular New York papers, including the Times, the Herald, and the Sun, as well as the Boston Transcript and several Brooklyn papers. Briefer notices appeared in the London Times, the London Athenaeum, and the Dramatic Mirror. It is from these and a few family documents which survive at the Brooklyn Historical Society, where his daughter Emma served as librarian for many years, 
that we gather the most knowledge of his life. He was born on April 24, 1824, in Hamlin, Germany, the town made famous by Browning's poem of the Pied Piper, which no obituary fails to mention. He emigrated to New York in 1844, originally settling in New York City around Canal Street. He moved to Brooklyn April 14, 1865, the day that Lincoln was assassinated. The obituary in the New York Herald notes that he came to New York as a youth and studied law, but this appears to be a misinterpretation of Toastberg's statement that he was working as a, quote, clerk when he began to illustrate his first work. Many of the obituaries quote information from a lecture Toastberg is said to have given, its timing and whereabouts unknown. Where, there he described the beginnings of his career with extra illustration. Quote, I was a clerk in New York in 1845 when I saw an illustrated copy of Byron's works in the after house. I bought it for 25 cents. I could hardly talk English at the time. The engravings in that book, however, seemed to me very beautiful. I have learned since that they were. I found in the book a poem addressed to Edmund Keane, and I put in a portrait of Keane opposite the poem. I did the same with other names. A little later, I bought in a Broadway store the first print that I bought with the intention of inserting in a book. I extended that single volume of Byron to two volumes, bound them in full Morocco. A little later, I was introduced on a Nassau Street bookshop to John Allen, New York's first illustrator. He asked me how I illustrated, and he showed me how he worked. It is John Allen to whom Daniel Treadwell dedicates his mo monograph on privately illustrated books. Treadwell's work forms the main source of information on the subject, offering elaborate lists of extra illustrators in the volumes they compiled. Allen is described as the first American illustrator, i.e. extra illustrator. Toastberg's obituary in the Boston Transcript also credits Thomas H. Morrell and Charles C. Morrell, old New York booksellers who teaching Toastberg the art of inlaying prints. Toastberg met Augustine Daly in 1867, though I found no specific mention of the of meeting, pardon me, no specific accounting of the meeting. He did a vast amount of work for Daly until Daly's death in 1899. In 1886, Toderberg and his daughter Emma toured Europe for three months and were the guests of Henry Irving sitting in his box at the Lyceum. This event caused much mention in the Brooklyn press at the time. In 1903, Toderberg's collection of books, drawings, prints, autographs, playbills, and daguerreotypes were offered for sale by the Anderson Auction Company. A news clipping of the time quotes Toderberg, I am selling them because I have not enough to make a separate collection. He had bought the books, he said, because he desired to read them, and the illustrations of theatrical costumes and people because he wanted them. The ever-eloquent Mr. Toadberg at his desk. The introduction to the sale catalog notes that he began print collecting in, at an earlier period when it was possible to purchase early and rare theatrical prints of any desired quality and in almost any quantity. While for purposes of livelihood, he followed the business of professional inlayer and repairer of prints, and in company with George Trent, contributed to the making of books monuments. He persistently gathered material for his own collection from the markets of the world. In that wonderful collection of extra illustrated books beginning belonging to the late Augustine Daly, many realized the importance attached to the condition of the material without being aware that it was almost exclusively the work of Augustus Toderberg. The amount of painstaking labor performed by this man during these many years is almost a marvel to those who have been made familiarly acquainted the notable American dramatic collections, for his work is liberally represented in them all. A second sale of his playbills alone was held in March 1907. He died in March 1909 at his home, 274 Vanderbilt Avenue, Brooklyn, at the age of 85.
the physical art of inlaying is described in our title music, and this description presumably comes directly from Topher. The only instrument Mr. Toastberg uses is a small, sharp knife, slightly turned at the end. The book is first torn apart. Then the prints, which are all sizes, are cut down to the required length. Next, the edges, to the depth of a quarter to half an inch, are scraped to an almost imperceptible thinness. A sheet of paper of the size and general quality of the pages of the book is then taken, and a space slightly smaller than the picture is hollowed out. The paper is next lit around the edges, and the picture is inserted. Not a scratch must appear on the reverse side of the paper or the labor is wasted. Picture and paper are then pasted and pressed, and it would require a sharp eye indeed to detect just where the work has been done. When all the prints have been treated in this way, the work is again ready for the binder, and very handsome and unusually interesting volumes are the result. This method of extra illustrating is obviously meticulous, and not all extra illustrators took such care. Some preferred a method of mounting, which required either that the book be acquired from the printer, presumably in advance of publication, printed on one side of the paper only, as were some copies of Augustine Daly's privately printed tribute to Peg Washington, or that the binder split the pages for the extra illustrator, or that, the two that two copies of the text be used. Henry Blackwell, another extra illustrator who worked for Daly, described his process in a contemporary news cutting of using two copies of the Douay Bible so that one side of each leaf was lost since each page was to be mounted. It is the inlaying work, however, that is the most delicate and beautiful and is one of the more intriguing aspects of Toastberg's work. He may not have been a great artist, but he was indeed a great inlayer. Treadwell, in his description of the process, claims the need for the services of a professional inlayer and promotes Toastberg's reputation. For this service, we call on our to our aid the professional man, the inlayer, of whom there are but few in the country worthy of mention, Messrs. Trent, Toderberg, and Lawrence, all of Brooklyn, and Poole of Boston. But what became of Mr. Toderberg's small, sharp knife? Well, it would appear from a letter at, in the Harvard Theater Collection that it was passed on to another great collector and grangerizer of theatrical history, one Robert Gould Shaw, the first curator of the Harvard Theater Collection. Shaw's collection includes many works illustrated by Toadberg, as well as a large portion of the contents of Toadberg's sale catalog. Toadberg's daughter, Emma, wrote to Robert Gould Shaw on February 4, 1910. I am sending the knives and the maps, and know of no one on whom he would rather have bestowed them, and only wish that Father could have started you on the work. You will notice some smudge linen around the large knife as Father left it. This I allowed to remain, so that you could see how, far, how Father protected his hand while working for I imagine that the beveling of the paper is rather trying on the hand. Still, with it all, you are going to derive great pleasure from doing the work, for Father always seemed to enjoy it, whether he did the work for a livelihood or for his own pleasure. In addition to inlaying, Todeberg also collected illustrations for his clients and commissioned or created portraits, mostly after photographs for inclusion. A letter to Augustine Daly, now in the folder, dated March 20, 1870, gives evidence of his working method. Dear Sir, do not feel disappointed in not seeing one as yet with the records. I have received from Germany some of the prints I wrote, wrote for, and have also found a lot of others which must necessarily go in, and the painter is busily engaged finishing up the remaining photographs. As a matter of course, I am busy getting everything in order. Truly yours, Augustus Todeberg. So we see that Todeberg was both an inlayer, a collector, and something of an early day paper conservative. 
While it is clear that Tocqueville did work for others, his main client was Augustine Daly. Treadwell credits Daly as a major Grangerizer of his day. The histrionic art has also been nobly and worthily represented in extra illustrated literature by Augustine Daly, and he continues for several pages to describe the volumes in Daly's collection, many of which were actually executed by Mr. Tocqueville. In reviewing the catalogs of the Daly sale, one could estimate that of the 3,787 titles listed, approximately 25% of these were extra illustrated, close to 1,000 titles. One hazards to speculate how many volumes they total, considering the length of the Douay Bible at 42 volumes, and Ireland's records of the New York stage at 52. Though the average extra illustrated was probably between two and six volumes. The extra illustrated holdings of Daly could be divided into two categories, those that are historical or biographical texts, and those that document the history of Daly himself. This is the binding of memories in Daly's theater, which is one of the latter. Obviously, one, anyone with such a keen sense of history also holds a keen sense of their own place in it, and Daly commissioned many a tribute to his own career from Mr. Tocqueville. It seems ironic, or is it coincidental, that the trend in extra illustration should end just at the time of Daly's death, and that no extra illustrated copy of The Life of Augustine Daly exists. The works which Tocqueville illustrated for Daly in this first category, documenting Daly's work, include a series of privately printed editions for Daly's productions of Shakespeare and the old comedy revival, the productions on which the theater historian Felheim claimed his reputation lay. It was not unusual for producers to print Pardon me. It was not unusual for producers to print their own editions of theatrical texts, and most of the great British actor-managers had editions of their most popular or favorite texts printed, particularly Shakespearean texts. Many sold them at the theater the night of the play. Daly, however, generally printed in limited editions as souvenirs and gifts to his friends. These editions regularly included an introduction or commentary by William Winter, the famed dramatic critic of the day and a close friend of Mr. Daly's. According to the sale catalog of Daly's collection and account by his brother, there were altogether 15 extra illustrated volumes of Daly's own private editions of his productions, four of which were embellished with watercolors by Daly's friend Eugene Bravaz, 11 were extra illustrated with photographs of Daly's company and illustrations and documents of other performances throughout history, and five of these 11 were further augmented with original costume designs. Todberg was responsible for inlaying these volumes. Included were The Merry Wives of Windsor, Midsummer Night's Dream, As You Like It, Merchants of Venice, Love's Labor's Lost, Taming of the Shrew, A Country Girl, The Recruiting Officer, She Would and She Would Not, The Inconstant, The Critic, School for Scandal, The Foresters. Each one of these serves as a production history of the play. Of these several, the Shakespearean ones are at the Folger. These souvenir volumes, executed by Todeberg at a cost to Daly for over, of over 300 One of the most impressive of this, these series is the two-volume set of Merchant of Venice. The title page reads, A Comedy in Five Acts as Arranged for Presentation at Daly's Theater, and it was published privately in 1898 by Douglas Taylor and Company, New York. It is inlaid with folio and bound by Steichman in half-brown Morocco. Included are portraits of all the actors who performed in Daly's production, including large-sized original photographs of the production, and a seven-page manuscript commentary on Ada Rahan by William Winter entitled After the Performance. 
Additionally, there is a series of watercolor portraits commissioned for the work by Victor Moblard of German and European actors in the role of Shylock. It's an odd set of portraits, presumably copied from another source. The treasure of these two volumes is seen here, however, in one of the collection of 51 costume drawings by Percy Anderson. Accompanying the designs is a manuscript letter from Anderson to Daly concerning colors and construction of the costumes. In the same set are large-scale photographs of the actors in the costumes as they were realized. And this is the costume for Bassanio, and here is Charles Richmond wearing the costume in the role of Bassanio. Immediate comparison of the design with the results is possible. It is easy to see why costume, costumers such as Anderson and later W. Graham Robertson, who costumed the Foresters to Daly, objected to working with them, for the final costumes were often mere outlines, stylized versions of more elaborate drawings. This, however, is frequently the case with theatrical costumes and constantly a disappointment to the costumers themselves. Robertson, in his memoirs, complained vehemently of Daly's practices and of his refusal to let him do, have anything to do with the construction or realization of the costumes once the drawings were in Daly's Much Ado About Nothing volume, there are an odd series of prints from photographic portraits executed by Augustin Soderbergh and Ching Holay onto the pages of the volume themselves. This process is questionable, for while part of the image looks like it's taken from a drawing, the face has the distinct feel of having been taken from a photograph. Included are portraits of Charles Campbell Mason, John Covey, and Mr. Burnett. Burnett played Dogberry in Laura Keene's production at the New Theater in 1857 as Playbill facing exhibit. In the case of several of these actors, particular mis particularly Mr. Burnett, it is likely that Todeberg executed the portraits himself because none were available to him. He, he may have done them from photographs, in fact, he probably did, but the work illustrates the range of his craftsmanship, in this case, printmaking. The extra illustrated edition of Love's Labor's Lost includes the original costumes by E. Hamilton Dell, and the addition of the foresters includes costume designs by Graham Robertson. Another extra-illustrated work documenting Daly is his edition of Memories of Daly's Theater, again, a work privately printed by Augustine Daly. This copy, now at the Harvard Theater Collection and illustrated by Hoedberg, continues numerous documents, photographs, and manuscripts illustrating the performers of Daly's Theater. This is an example of one of Daly's privately printed Similarly, there is in the folder a souvenir scrapbook related to Daly's publication of an edition of The Taming of the Shrew in honor of the 100th performance of it by his company in 1881. In this, we can see the extreme to which Daly, or Toadberg, went to memorialize his work. The volume is a document of the publication of the souvenir itself. It does not contain the publication. It is merely the cover and the title page, then followed by letters of acknowledgment for the receipt of the volume and appreciations of the production. The volume appears to have been inlaid by Toteberg and includes a letter from him to Augustine Toteberg, in which he writes, as a souvenir of this successful play, this little book is most appropriate, and at the same time a fine specimen of bookmaking that leaves nothing to be desired in the way of paper, printing, or illustrations, and forms quite an acquisition to any collection of books, loved by book lovers and bibliophiles. I trust that the same success that the present has perched upon your banner will attend you during the summer. This letter is followed by a photograph of who obviously knew how to flatter his patrons. In the second category of extra-illustrated theatrical works for Daly, those of biography and history, Toteberg contributed a fair number. Some of these were commissioned by Daly, and others sold by Toteberg to Daly after Toteberg had originated the work. 
great achievement of these historical works, the monumental accomplishment of his career, was the extra illustration of Joseph N. Ireland's Records of the New York Stage from 1750 to 1860, published in New York by T.H. Morrell, 1866-67, and extended by Daly and Poderberg from two volumes to 51, supplemented by the text of J.S.G. The publication itself is a chronological and statistical record written from theatrical memorabilia which is collected by Ireland. The work is extensive in its detailing of names, places, and theaters, with many inclusions of information directly from bills of the play. The work was published in, in, in an edition of 200 copies octavo and 60 copies quarto. It will be duly noted again that the publisher, Morrell, a was a name directly associated with extra illustration by Treadwell and was noted as one of the teachers of Toadfer, along with Charles Moreau. The book, it would seem, was published in part for the purpose of extra illustration, and in fact, there is hardly a collection of historical theatrical materials in America that does not include at least one extra illustrated copy of it. The daily Toadfer copy brought $6,125 at the sale of, of Daly's collection, the highest price of the day, but surely a price lower than the cost of creators. It was bought by the dealer J.O. Wright. A press account a few days later announced that the Ireland set had been acquired from Wright by Everett Jansen Wendell, who guarantees that it will be kept in his private collection, a vow later broke, and will not be broken up. The rumor mill had it that after the auction, Wright had received an offer of $10,000 for it, but apparently it had already been purchased for Wendell. Wendell is said to have sold it at a public sale to George D. Smith, who in turn sold it to General Brayton Ives. It eventually passed to Robert Gould Shaw, previously mentioned as the recipient of Toadbert Knives, the first curator of the Harvard Theater Collection. His gift to Harvard, along with that of his competitor, Everett Jansen Wendell, formed the cornerstone of the theater collection. Had Wendell not sold it, it still would have ended up where it rests now, on eight shelves in the Saxon Cusey Library. The Ireland is duly noted in all of the newspaper accounts of Toadbert's work. It is a handsome set with the title page separately printed, claiming the inlaying for Toadberg. In the first volume, the title page is followed by Toadberg's photograph, inlaid with the inscription, The Labor We Delight in Physics Pain, dated April 4, 1990, perhaps referring to the pain which his daughter described in her letter to Shaw. The description of the Ireland set in the catalog of the daily sale takes up 19 pages, and indeed it might have been longer had the author of the catalog not tired by the time he reached the 31st volume. Up to that point, he had been taking half a page to describe each volume, but by volume 31, the description had become much shorter. Believe me, the volumes do not. The general description of the work tells all. A unique copy, illustrated and extended by Augustus Toadberg for Augustine Daly with over 8,000 original drawings, autographed letters, etc., rare playbills, views, etc., producing a record of the New York stage without parallel. Apart from its wide interest, its many unique features, and the attractiveness of the publication, it is a gigantic monument of patient and well-directed industry. The untiring energy of the collector and the well-known skill and knowledge of the inlayer have left no room for doubt that no time or expense could in the future produce the results shown here. The original text by Ireland has been supplemented by yearly records written by Mr. Hagen and practically completes the subject to date. The details below are meager enough, but they will be sufficient to show how thoroughly the ground has been covered. Extra illustration lent itself to 
noted by 19 pages as descriptions, just in the editions. In this work, no mention was too slight to warrant illustration. A brief note on the origins of King's College, the predecessor to where we now sit, was given over to two fine illustrations. Might Mr. Toadford himself have pilgrimaged to the grave of Mrs. Hodgkinson in order to illustrate not only her life and work on the stage, but also her death through this pen and ink drawing? Accompanied by a clipping, it accounts the discovery of her body. The illustration now rests beside the line, Mrs. Hodgkinson died in New York of consumption in September 1803. The documentation of Mrs. Hodgkinson ending with her tombstone also includes several portraits and playbills, including a bill for a play performed in her benefit at the theater Hartford. The volumes also include original drawings of the graves of Mrs. Duff, Henry Placide, Eliza Logan, Hamblin, Wallach, and others. It is easy, of course, to mock such seemingly absurd industry, but the volumes themselves do serve as a monument to the history of the New York stage, and in fact they hold significant documents which might not have been preserved otherwise, or if preserved, might not have been so accessible to scholars of theater research. Many of the playbills, the Hartford one, for example, along with others from outside of New York, are apparently unique survivors, and it is the playbill which lays claim to the title The Quarterstone of Theater Research. Each volume averages the inclusion of 30 playbills. This playbill, however, is somewhat suspect, and they do need to be taken with some caution. Claiming to be a, a, a playbill from the John Street Theater in New York, you can see right underneath theater that the New York state line has been pasted over, and it's questionable as to whether this is a New York or a, or a London playbill. There is scarcely an actor, actor mentioned in the text, including the famous performers of the British stage, Garrett Siddons et al., for whom a portrait has not been included, either a print found or a drawing created by the hand of Toadford. The Booth family is well represented in this manner. This lovely drawing is actually a copy of a daguerreotype. And it, it are some of these portraits are most interesting because they do actually give evidence of the daguerreotype, which may not have survived, despite these bad art. And here, a slightly better rendition of John Wilkes Booth. The Ireland volumes are filled with examples of Toadford's portrait drawings, <coughs> many of them taken from prints and photographs, and as I said, the most valuable taken from the daguerreotypes. This is a portrait of Peter Richings. The copies of the prints are obviously less important and only serve to add to the weight and length of these volumes without increasing their value. The work contains approximately 10 to 15 original drawings per volume, some 550 drawings in all, most like Toadford's. What is particularly valuable, aside from the luxuriousness of the creation and the addition of the rare playbills, are the original manuscripts. Included are some 500 letters and documents, including autographed letters of Congreve, Joseph Jefferson, J.S. Knowles, Peter Richings, J.B. Booth, Thomas Hamblin, Louisa Lane Drew, Noah Ludlow, the author himself, J.N. Ireland, Fanny Kemble, Charlotte Cushman, Fanny Elsler, General Tom Thumb, P.P. Barnum, and Alexander Dumas, the list goes on and on. Far from being insignificant autographs, many of these letters are substantial and offer useful details about the life of the theater, often witnessing incidents which might otherwise have been lost. This Stephen Price letter, which Todebart obviously had to take some care in in his, his work due to its condition, gives an account of the sluggish London season. McCready vows that he is now losing money. Yates clothes, Vestris losing since Easter, and the only thing doing well is the Haymarket with powers, the only attraction. Hackett and White have no offer from any quarter. Hill wants 12 nights in September in the park. Lake's been playing the three 
God bless you, that's right. The set was still in progress when Treadwell wrote his monograph. It was at that time only 33 volumes. He described it as the lifelong work of Topher, the arrangement of the illustrations of the work unique. In the making up of the work, none but the very best materials has been used, the whole bound by Steichman in half crimson Levant. The work is still unfinished. A volume is occasionally added when sufficient new materials have accumulated, and these issues will continue probably as long as Mr. Daly survives. Indeed, the 33 volumes encompass the complete work of Ireland. The additional, additional 18 volumes which follow have the extending text of Hagen. The work was said to have taken Hodeberg 20 years, though it was so if this is the case, it's certainly not the only work accomplished in 20 years. It is, however, a significant accomplishment. In fact, it might be considered the ultimate theatrical scrapbook. Hodeberg's work included numerous other volumes of theatrical history and biography, extended beyond the imagination, which still proved useful to the scholar. There was scarcely a major biography or theatrical treatise published prior to Daly's day for which Daly did not possess an extra illustrated copy. At least half of these have been executed by Toadford, some at Daly's request, others at Toadford's own initiative. The stage was also Toadford's devotion. Included in the works of list, the list of works known to have been extra illustrated by Toadford are Keith's biography of Burton, Hutton and Derrick's actors and actresses, memoirs of Billington, Sibber's apology for his own life, Edwin Forrest for Forestiana, memoirs of Mrs. Coughlin, biographies of Benny Elzer, Lola Montez, Ira Aldridge, Charles Keane and Henry Irving, and a history of the Union Square Theater, completed for Daly's competitor, A.M. Palmer. This set, the 40-some volumes, is now in the player's set. Hoeberg's skills, however, were not restricted to theatrical works. Non-theatrical works illustrated by him are also listed by Treadwell, including Vindication of the Captors of Andre, Shakespeare's England, Book Hunter, and Bards and Reviewers. His own collection of autographs also included non-theatrical texts such as autographs of Napoleon and his family, Victorian King Edward, Marie Antoinette, and Charles V of Spain. Also mentioned in Treadwell is a work in progress, which Terry cleverly alludes to in his advertisement for, the, for this lecture. It was to be an extra illustrated edition of Wagner, and though I have not located what would seem to be a particularly fascinating work, I can only hope that if I do, it will bear Todeberg's footplate, a decidedly Teutonic and Wagnerian design. Might it have been created with the work in mind? One non-theatrical work, which Toadberg does not appear to have actually illustrated, although newspaper accounts claim the contrary, is Daly's copy of the Douay Bible. A copy of the Dublin edition of the Bible, published in 1753, which was extended for Augustine Daly to 42 volumes. Today is an appropriate time to tell this tale, since it is the eve of the 100th anniversary of the reception Mr. Daly held on the completion of this monumental illustrated work. A newspaper account of the New York, in the New York Times describes the reception. Yesterday, at 14 West 50th, 50th Street, Mr. and Mrs. Daly held an informal reception, and the enlarged Douay Bible, just from the binders, was shown. It occupies a bookcase newly built to house it. The Times credits the compilation of the work to the invaluable services of Mr. Toadberg and other artists in the craft of the Immortal Ranger. This is not the only text to credit Toadberg with the work on the volume, most of the obituaries that Toadberg included in his repertoire. Some months after the daily sale, however, the New York Tribune printed a claim from Henry Blackwell that the craftsmanship was his, and a clip from the week of the sale entitled, The Man Who Bound Daly's Books Notes, 
Sackville of this city bound the Douay Bible and arranged the plates. He also bound more than 50% of the other works in Daly's collection. Should there be any doubt about Mr. Blackwell's connection with Daly, regard the title page, collected by Augustine Daly and arranged and placed by Henry Blackwell, 1892. It also quotes a letter to the New York Times from Daly, said to have been published May 2, 1892, shortly after the Bible reception. Chief credit for the work, both inlaying and binding, belongs to Mr. Henry Blackwell. Blackwell complained that many of the items appearing in the sales catalog of Daly's collection, which were specimens of Mr. Blackwell's finest work, were not credited, were not credited to him or Mr. Blackwell, ignored by the catalog writer at the Anderson Auction Company. Mr. Toderberg never appears to have argued the claim regarding the Bible, and I have not located the set in order to confirm Blackwell's account, but I have no reason to dispute it. Other extra illustrated works from Daly's collection, which are now in the Folger Library, are the work of Henry Blackwell, and he certainly did work for Daly, though his claim of 50% may be high, considering the number done by Toderberg. His craft was not as refined as Toderberg's, whose inlaying skill was quite fine. Blackwell preferred the mounting method rather than the more tedious inlaying procedure, and he was also a binder, which Toderberg was not. The works extra illustrated by Toderberg are generally bound by Spicer and others. The life of this incident sheds on Toderberg, however, is the, his unique standing in the field. He is mentioned prominently in the work of Daniel M. Treadwell, where, whereas Blackwell does not show up at all in that work. And presumably from all accounts, Blackwell was just as active. It also seems logical that Toadberg and Daly had become so closely connected that the press might assume if it's Daly's and it's extra illustrated, then it must be the work of Toadberg. He appears to have been skilled in the art of self-promotion, able to insert himself neatly into the world of the New York bibliophiles, and to deserve mention in any account of extra illustration of the day, and in fact, to have inspired several newspaper accounts of the craft. Even to garner for himself general credit for popularizing the craft and for executing the production of volumes he had no hand in. Here is a rare skill indeed. During the preparation of this lecture, I continued to muddle over whether Mr. Toderberg was worthy of a book art press lecture. Was he an insignificant old coot who had become merely an obsession of mine? My conclusion is no. Mr. Toderberg is certainly deserving of examination as a significant representative of a peculiar form of bibliomania, and as the instrument for the immortalization of the incomparable director and bibliophile, Mr. Augustine Daly. Thank you.